great. When he found it, Revelation 19, 1 to 9. Okay, let's dig in. <clears throat> Remember, this is John saying this. This is the vision of the end of time. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has contemned the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth by her adulteries, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God. For he was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen and Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God. All you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Amen. Folks, there is going to be a great feast at the end of time. How do we know? The Bible tells us and Jesus points to it. We're going to hear this evening that Jesus does the biggest thing possible to point to this feast at the end of time and to make sure that he has done absolutely everything in his power for you and I to be there. He wants you and I to be there. There's going to be a celebration which is so brilliant and so beautiful and so extravagant where every nation and tongue and angel and archangel and elder and creature is invited to come and celebrate and there is going to be a party like we have never seen a party before. We heard about Jonathan's party in the Caribbean which frankly that sounded awesome. I wish I was invited to some more weddings like that. But this, this is going to be even better than that. We're not just talking about an all-you-can-eat buffet, but who likes those? Who likes an all-you-can-eat buffet? Yeah? Tables stacked with all the nummiest treats. God sitting at the head of the table. This isn't what we're talking about. This isn't just a long uh, kind of eternal table where we all get to sit around and tuck into our like, favorite stuff. Psalm 23 and Isaiah 25, they give us the clues of what this is going to be like. And as I said at the beginning, it's going to be spicy. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows with blessing and goodness and mercy 
will follow. Why would there be mercy at a feast? Then Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 9 says, Rich food, the best meats, the finest age wines. And then a development, a step further than Psalm 23 goes. The shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. These are some pretty odd things to have at a feast. Why have you got a shroud? That's weird. That's like Jewish funeral talk, to have a shroud. Why would we have that at a feast? And so we cut back to Revelation 19, which we just read together. An incredible vision given to John of this banquet, this feast, this eternal supper celebration. The wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It's a wild scene, isn't it? It's got shouts and roars. All the multitudes of heaven are praising God. They're lifting him high, shouting salvation and glory and power belong to God. He is true. He is perfect. He is just. He is defeated. Revelation 19 says, the great prostitute, the beast that has corrupted the earth. Bit of an awkward word to find in the Bible, prostitute. Don't know about if you think that's awkward. Anybody think that's awkward to read in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. But the metaphor through the Old Testament has been that God's people have rejected God's like rejecting the faithful love of marriage and going and, uh, and having an affair somewhere else, getting cheap love, rather than staying faithful to the true love. And so Revelation here is saying that that cheap love, that thing that you've been distracted by, that's taken you off course, it's been defeated. And now, here we have perfect love the love of the lamb to his bride the bride of the church and so all the angels and the elders and the creatures are worshiping the kingship of God, the god of perfect love announcing his sovereignty alleluia the lord almighty reigns The wedding feast has come. Let us rejoice. What a sight and what a sound that will be. It's kind of like chaotic here, isn't it? Just as we read it. What's it going to be like to be like caught up in the middle of it? With all the shouting and the roaring and the worship and the glory. Wow. So, folks, what is it all in aid of? What has happened Because yesterday we kind of finished in a bit of an uncomfortable place, didn't we? We were talking about the sparks of our sin, our our desires in our hearts that that lead us to rebel against God. The things that uh, mean that actually we don't belong anymore in God's perfect future. I wonder if you remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel. There's a celebration there too. It's a story of two sons. 
the older son and a younger son. And the younger son twists his father's arm to get his share of the inheritance, to get the property and the money that, that's going to be his when his father dies. But he says, I can't wait till you die. I want it now. He's basically wishing that his father was dead. And his father decides to give him what will be his. And the younger son goes off. He spends all of this money, all the desires of his own heart on wild living, on crazy decisions of um, living for himself in the moment. Just like we talked yesterday about the rope, that tiny portion of time it is our life now where it's really tempting to make selfish decisions that are just about us. The prodigal son, the younger son, does it. He wastes all of the uh, riches that his father has given him. And when he's right at rock bottom, he wonders, is there more to life than this? Just as we've been asking that question this week, is there something more? And he decides that there must be something more. There must be something better. It must be better than being rock bottom now just to go back to his father's house and even just be a slave or a servant there. That's going to be better than the mess he's got himself into now. And so he collects up all his, all his courage and he starts that long walk home to beg his father to have him back as a servant. But as he walks up the road home, his father comes running down the road to meet him. He listens to his apology, the kind of um, splutters of a sorry. But the father doesn't reinstate him as a servant. He doesn't say, oh, come and um, work in the kitchen. The father says, no. You are my son, and we're going to have a party, and we're going to have a feast. And here's a robe, and here's a ring, and here's some fresh shoes, so that everyone knows that you are my son, and I love you. The father throws a massive party in that story because what has been broken, that relationship that was broken at the beginning where the younger son says, I don't want to live with you anymore. I'm going to go and do my own thing over here. What is broken, what is lost, is now healed, is now restored. And at that feast, at the end of time, which Revelation 19 is telling us about, that celebration is a celebration that what has been broken and what has been lost is now found and is now healed. It is now found and is now healed and it is now restored. That celebration is about the end of death. It is about the end of evil and it is about our reconciliation with God's. Not only can we be reconciled, but do you remember last night where Jack held the two discs of heaven and earth and that sin separated what was together, what was one in Eden. Sin separated those things. Not only can we be reconciled at the end of time, uh, not only can we be reconciled with God, but in the end of time, 
the whole created order, that whole cosmic separation will be healed. Heaven and earth will be reconciled too. And so tonight, what we are going to look and go deeper into is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I gave you a bit of a spoiler at the beginning of the week on Monday evening. Do you remember when we talked about Jesus Christ pulled out on the cross, nailed in one hand, holding on to the holiness of his Father, the perfection and the beauty which we heard about yesterday in Revelation 21, that it's going to be perfect Uh, The end of time, the holy city is going to be perfect because it reflects the perfection of God. Jesus holding on to his perfect father who cannot bear to look at sin, who cannot be in the same place. There is no place with the father for sin. And in the other hand, Jesus stretched out on the cross holding on to you and to me because he loves us, because he made us in the beginning. He made us to reflect him. He made us to be fruitful and to multiply. He made us in his image. He loves us so much. He cannot bear, Jesus cannot bear for us to be separated from God any longer. And he dies. Jesus dies on the cross saying, I won't let you be separated anymore, anymore in me. What is broken and what is lost is now healed, is now found, is now restored. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he dies for our sin now, the sparks of our evil desires now. And also Jesus dies to defeat the power of sin and evil and darkness forever. It's both for now and for us And it's also to defeat all of evil, all of death, for all of time. And to heal that cosmic divide as well. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he wasn't just a revolutionary inaugurating a new kingdom or a a new way of living. Jesus was fully human and fully God's. His death took all of the debt of sin, of our rebellion against God. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our sins. The old word is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's how sin kind of stacks up against us and God, separating us. But Jesus takes all of the debt of our sin and evil that stands between us and God, and he pays the price. Romans 8 tells us that the wages for sin is death. What we deserve because of our sin is death. We deserve to be cast out of God's presence forever. But God loved us so much. He loves us so much that he put on human flesh, just like us today, to be our substitute, to take our place. He participates in our death. He goes through human death so that we can participate in his life. If you're making any notes tonight, folks, that's something to write down. 
Jesus participates in our death so that we can receive his life. Jesus participates in our death so that we can receive his life. The sparks of sin in our hearts are made up by a whole multitude of things. Desires that are uh, not what God would have for us. Of unconscious wandering from him. Of lousy decision making. Of intentional rebellion and rejection of God. And because of our sin... We deserve to be out of God's presence, outside of his dwelling. But because of his love and because of his mercy, we get to trade in that death sentence. Trade in all that we deserve and receive the life of God himself. It is mind-blowing. It really is. It, it really, really is. I want to take us to um, a, a, a point just as Jesus dies in Luke's gospel. Um, Luke 23. I've been really weighing up whether um, to use this actually all week. It's been like the puzzle piece that I've wondered where it's going to fit. I just want to take us here as Jesus dies on the cross, as he's stretched out. Luke 23. Jesus got um, a, a, an, another criminal uh, e either side of him, one on his left and one on his right. And this is the conversation that they have as they're dying with Jesus, who is in the middle. Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you God's anointed one? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence as him? We're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, he turned to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. This dude, this thief on the cross, I am looking forward to meeting him in heaven. Aren't you looking forward to meeting him? What a story to tell when we get there. Can you imagine him like rocking up into heaven and people being like, who are you? I don't remember you from earth. Well, in fact, if I remember anything about you, it was that you were, you were horrible. You were really, you were really, really bad. In fact, you were so bad that you were sentenced to death because you were so bad. And the Romans hated you and they, and they killed you. And so how come you are here? Because that 
is a bit of a surprise. And can you imagine what that dude is going to say? What is he going to say? The man on the middle cross said, I could come. That's what he's going to say. The man on the middle cross said, I could come. How amazing is that? The man on the middle cross said, I could come. That is how easy, but also how beautiful it is to accept Jesus Christ. No matter what we have done, no matter who we are, no matter whether we have counted ourselves out or counted ourselves in, Jesus says, the man on the middle cross says, you can come. And so tonight, I want you to think about whether you want to say yes to Jesus. Do you want to live in eternity with him? Do you want to leave behind that sin that is in your heart? And do you want to live a new life with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? As the one who is writing your story? As the one who is going to lead you through this crazy, chaotic world into the beauty of the new heaven and the new earth? The cross deals with the problem of sin and evil, and it defeats its power forever. That was the stuff we were talking about last night. Defeats all the power that sin and evil has over this world and over us. But we've got a bit of a, like, D-Day, V-E-Day thing going on here. Anybody like history? Don't let me down here, folks. Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. Great, we've got, a cu- we've got a couple of history followers. I love it. Okay, we're going to have a, like a mini history lesson. We had a maths lesson yesterday um, and a history lesson today. I hope there'll be no lessons tomorrow, but anyway. Um, so, a little bit of a, a recap what happens on D-Day. I think we've got the date here. The 6th of June, 1944. Uh, we're in World War II. Britain and the Allies have pushed back the evil of the Nazis, and they've defeated most of the troops in some really decisive battles that have happened kind of around France, mostly. And it is now certain on the 6th of June, 1944, that Germany cannot win the war. It is over. And this is what we call D-Day. The victory has basically been won. It's certain the outcome is sure. There's no way that Hitler and his pals are ever going to recover this. It's done. 6th of June, 1944. But it isn't until the 8th of May in 1945 that Germany signs an unconditional surrender and the suffering and the fighting and the destruction come to an end. It's almost a year, isn't it, between these two dates, 
almost, not quite, but almost a year between these two dates, almost a year after D-Day, that the decisive victory is celebrated and marked. Folks, why do I give us a history lesson this evening? Because the cross is a sign pointing to a day when Jesus is going to come back and evil will no longer be able to exist outside of God's kingdom. It will be destroyed forever. The restoration of the cosmic divide and separation will be healed. The cross defeats its power, but there will be a day when it will not be allowed to exist any longer. And the feast that we've read in Revelation 19 is a vision of what that celebration, when that happens, is going to be like. And so on the last day when Jesus comes, when Jesus returns, he is going to destroy sin and evil and death forever. Now between D-Day and V-E Day, Hitler and his chums continue to spread havoc. They continue to unleash violence and chaos and destruction all over Europe. They are like the worst losers we have ever seen. Until VE Day, when Germany signs that act of surrender, then it's celebrated, then it's marked that, that the, the battle is over. So between Jesus' death and his resurrection and then him coming back, evil is cast out of God's presence, but it's kind of like hanging out around and it's still unleashing its power. It's still uh, causing havoc and chaos in our world, just like Hitler and his uh, team did between these two dates. Evil is still hanging around. And this is where we live. We live between these two dates. We live between Jesus' death and his resurrection, which is D-Day, and Jesus' second coming when he returns to defeat death forever, which is VE day. The devil knows that Jesus has won the victory, but just in the meantime, before Jesus comes back, evil and darkness are going to continue to rage in this world. And you and I experience that all the time. That's what we see, folks, on the news. Evil and darkness causing havoc and chaos in our worlds. A little break then to tell you about a little thing that happened. Anybody have some any good things that happened during the pandemic? It was it was kind of a it was a lot of bad things happened, didn't they, uh, during that time? Anybody have any good things that happened in the pandemic? God dog, yes. Anybody like beat their sibling um, at a video game or table tennis? Sorry, not just. No, 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 at, at a, they beat their sibling at a game. <laughs> uh, okay, just me. I absolutely hounded my brother at table tennis day after day after day. Oh, my word, it was a joy. Um, anybody else learn a new skill? Did anyone pick up a, a new skill? Balloon modeling. Bo, 
jokes. That's a round of applause. I love it. That's amazing. Some good things came out of the pandemic. It was pretty uh, nightmarish time, wasn't it? But some good things came out of the pandemic. A good thing came out of the pandemic for me. Um, just after the first lockdown, um, Joe, who was my boyfriend at the time, proposed to me. Hooray! Uh, we basically spent that first lockdown walking two metres apart, not touching each other, um, and planning what it might be like if we got married and what we might do on the day. And then, uh, in the middle of July, he said, go on then, let's do it. And I said, okay, fine, let's do it. And we gave ourselves 10 weeks. Um, and so the end of September, the end of September this year, the 26th of September will be our three-year anniversary. Um, we only had 30 people at our wedding. Um, it was good fun. Um, and it was uh, in my parents' garden. Boris Johnson changed the rules so many times that week. It did my head in. Um, but um, I'm really hoping, actually, there might be a picture. Yeah, look at us laughing. Suck on that, Boris. Um, <laughs> uh, as you went into our wedding reception, our 30 guests, they went up to uh, their table, they found their place name, and on their chair was an apron, a very nice apron, which says, Dear and Joe, yeah, 26th of September, 2020. Now, what do you think if you arrive at the dinner table and someone has provided you with an apron what do you think do you think you're gonna like have some like nice salmon and cream cheese no do you think you're gonna have some olives and uh i don't know parma ham <laughs> no it's not gonna be uh it's not gonna be clean is it folks you've got an apron for a reason what is about to arrive on your plate is going to be good. It is going to be messy. And it is going to be juicy. Oh, yeah. And what arrived on people's plates was the most amazing barbecue that you have ever had, mainly because there weren't very many catering companies around at the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> guys, it was great. And uh, we, were, we were just so aware that we didn't want our... Um, our guests to get their clothes all dirty, so we provided them with an apron. Folks, the apron was a sign that something good was coming. The apron was a sign that something good was just about to drop. Something good was coming. Folks, Jesus on the cross is a sign that something good is coming. Something good is about to drop. Something good is coming. And it's not just a little bit good. It is very, very good. Jesus, uh, Paul says, Jesus is the first fruits. He's the beginning. He's the sign. He's like the neon arrow pointing and saying, this way, this way, look this way. This is going to be amazing. Jesus is the sign of the new creation. And Paul says that if we accept Jesus, Paul says that if we accept Jesus, if we say yes to Jesus Christ and we turn from our sin and follow him, 
that we too will become with Jesus that sign that something good is coming. That you and me get to share with the world, we become this like big neon flashing arrow which says, guys, in all the craziness and the chaos of this world right now, something good is coming. And it looks like Jesus Christ. What was torn apart by sin when evil entered the world through Adam and Eve, what was separated will be reconciled at the end of time. God's dwelling place will be again with his people. There won't be anything in the way. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so life after death with God in eternity is just one part of the promise, folks. The promise of eternal life actually starts now. The new creation has already dawned because of Jesus. He says we are the first fruits. We're the sign. We can live in the light and the power. Why? Because Jesus doesn't stay dead. Jesus doesn't stay dead. The Romans don't crucify Jesus and that's it. Jesus comes back to life. Jesus is raised from the dead by the power of God. And you and I get to live in that light and that freedom and that power as the first fruits, as the sign that something even greater is coming. This is more than just a future hope. It is a present invitation. Another thing to write down. This is not just a future hope. It is a present invitation. Paul says in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he will also give you life to your mortal bodies. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he will also give you life in your mortal bodies. This is not just a future hope, folks. This is a present invitation. The fullness of life that Jesus promised. Therefore, more than just a promise of quality life forever with him. It is a way of life before the grave for those who follow Jesus. And so if you want to experience resurrection life, Now, if you want to live free of fear and darkness, if you want to live free of the power of evil and the power of sin, Jesus is the one to follow. If you want to know God and you want to live for that day when evil is defeated and destroyed once and for all and goodness and justice will reign over everything and everyone, then Jesus is the one to follow. If you are feeling lost and you are feeling worthless and you don't know how you fit into this world, Jesus is the one to follow. And if you want to change the world, if you want to make this world just bear some resemblance to the beauty and the magnitude and the glory of eternity, And Jesus is the one to follow. And you can do that tonight. 
you can follow Jesus tonight, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe for the hundredth time, you can say yes to following Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, we acknowledge that the sparks of sin in our hearts and our lives are real and that we don't want to live as a slave to them anymore but that we want to live in relationship with God's. When we say yes to Jesus, we say, God, we need your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness to live a new life. I want to live as part of your beautiful story. And our yes to following Jesus recognizes our good beginning. It recognizes all those things that God said to us Uh, as he created uh, creation right at the beginning and asks that by God's grace we might work together with him for our glorious ending. When we say yes to Jesus, we receive his new life by the power of the Holy Spirit's. We receive his resurrection life by his Holy Spirit. So I just want to ask you to stand now. Put your Bible down. Just uh, roll your shoulders a bit. Shake out your ankles. Maybe like crack your neck a bit. Feel the blood go around your body again. Maybe like pulse out your fingers a bit. Just move a little bit. Jiggle your hips. I know you want to. Yeah. And now we're going to be still. I want you to do your best imagining with me now. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Just be still. May be your most comfortable. And I want you to imagine that story of the prodigal son, of God the Father, who runs to that son who has been far off. And I want you to imagine with me that God is running towards you. That God has been watching and waiting. And now he dashes away from his lookout, not stopping to grab his coat, all his robes flying behind him. And imagine this you walking on Winchester High Street, just coming past King Alfred's statue. You're suddenly aware of all of the things that you've said and done and thought. You know you're coming into the presence of God. You're aware of all those things that mean you're not perfect, that you're not good enough for him. You're heavy with all those things on your heart. Maybe just bring to mind those things that you know just 
mean that you're not good enough for God. And as you walk past King Alfred's statue, there are people in the street and they begin to notice you. And they begin to whisper to each other, isn't that so-and-so? And somehow they seem to know about the thing that is heavy on your heart right now. Somehow they seem to know the sin that is on your heart right now. And they begin to gossip about it and people are whispering. Did you hear about when they nursed that anger and they had that grudge? Did you hear when they gossiped about that person? Or they looked at that girl in that way? Or that boy in that way. And they said that about their parents. And suddenly, everything that you feel uncomfortable and not proud about in your life is whipping around the streets like gossip. People whispering behind their hands. Until, at the other end of the street, tearing through the west gate, past the naked man on the horse, sprinting across the road, causing everyone and everything to pile up, leaving shouts and commotion in his wake, comes the father. He's got all his clothes in his hands. His skinny legs are running as fast as you've ever seen them. He's never done a park run in his life. And now he's feeling it, even though it's all downhill. The love for his child, the love for you, that God has and his heart is bursting out of his chest and he is running and he cannot stop. He will not rest until he meets you, until he embraces you. And you can be sure that God the Father who is running has well and truly changed the subject. No longer are the people on the high street talking about you and your sin. No longer is anyone whispering about you. They are outraged. They are shocked. They are overwhelmed by the image of God who is running. God, the sovereign of heaven, God, the creator of the world, is running to you. The Father, like no other, he cannot help but run to you. And when he meets you, you begin to utter those words to him. And perhaps tonight you want to say yes to Jesus. Perhaps you want to say sorry to him for the wrong things that you've done, the sin that is heavy on your heart, the sparks that you know are not good. And just as you begin to tell him about all those things that are on your hearts, he meets you and he lifts your head and he wipes your tears and he gives you the biggest and proudest and deepest smile and hug that you can ever imagine. He draws you into his chest, his beloved child. God is so holy and fully and completely committed to you, to loving you, to healing that relationship that we have broken, 
that he embraces all of the shame to embrace you. And on that day, at the end of time, when finally we are face to face with God the Father, surely we will weep. Surely we will weep with relief when we realize just how deep, just how amazing, just how beautiful his love is for us. So just where you are, just stay in that moment.